Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. podcast. So we've got a really interesting guest. So Megan, you've way surpassed me as far as you've got what 37,000 LinkedIn followers <laughs> at this point? 38 and uh, but but apparently what when did you find my podcast? Was it 2 years ago? Um probably yeah, 2020, um mid 2020. Okay. So that was probably 6 months into us from the podcast. But man, you just blown right past me. I think I'm only at like 13,000 followers. So fair. this is, I mean, you know, you're busy, you're, you're teaching classes, you've got your courses to run. I just, I'm obsessed with LinkedIn. So maybe that's why. Yeah. Well, I was thinking maybe we could talk about kind of stages of like building a following. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause yeah, I, to be honest, I'm to the point now where LinkedIn is too time intensive. Yeah. To where I've got, well, cause think about it like this, like if you posted a, something two weeks ago no one ever sees it again mm. to where I record a podcast one time and, and people see it thousands of times yeah I mean that's a complaint of I think that's even more relevant of a complaint for other social media sites like TikTok and Instagram where recency is such a priority where you wouldn't see any post past like three, four days. Whereas on LinkedIn, I probably could see posts up to like a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. But you're right, these uh, video 
form content on places like YouTube or, or podcasts or, or even LinkedIn, I'm sure bring in uh, viewers for much longer than a, a post, a, a regular post. Right. Well, I think that, are you, are you familiar with the concept of like hustle luck? Uh, I can, I can have an educated guess as to what it is, but I haven't heard that term specifically. So there's like, there's three kinds of luck. Hustle luck is like you turn over enough stones and you find something. Mm. Um, then there's blind luck, which you can't really. And then there's luck where you've built like a brand for yourself and then opportunities Mm -hmm. come to you. I see. Mm -hmm. I think LinkedIn, and especially if you're trying to get like a either transition or you're trying to get your next job. Hustling on LinkedIn, I think, is a great way to bring opportunity to you. Absolutely. That's that's what's happened with you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm at my current job now because I posted on LinkedIn because of one fateful post. So it wow. absolutely works. That's very cool. So yeah, so why don't you kind of walk us through? So you're what, three years into your career at this point? Uh yeah, three years out of out of college. So three years into adulting. All right. So let's let's by the way, those those of you who are listening on the live stream, I've got one of my Greensboro College undergrad students waiting in the wings in the uh, live stream studio. So on the back half of this episode, we're going to pull her in, and because I I don't I'm a, I can't ask the questions that is are in her mind. Yeah. I can't read her mind. So I mean, you're the perfect person to ask about that tr- transitioning from school to yep. that first job, which yeah. it sounds like uh, we I saw on the the chat thread off air that first job was interesting you learned a lot didn't like it as much yeah but now it seems like you're in a really good spot right yeah no I I love where I'm at right now that question about stages of my career is a good question I think a lot of people just ask me oh how did you get to where you are today and it can be a long uh effusive story but if we break it down into stages um hopefully I can I can keep it condensed um Graduated college, uh, studying finance, and went into financial consulting at a big four accounting firm. And I was on the mergers and acquisition side as a consultant. And that was about two of the three years uh, out being out of college. So that was the first phase, um, being a financial consultant. And in, within that phase was was when I started realizing that the path that I had chosen for myself coming out of college was not what I had expected, or maybe in the beginning it was what I expected, but over time it became something that I no longer loved anymore. And I, I actually have, I mean, I don't want to throw shade to Oh, please. Finance. Yeah, but... be brutally honest. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I've had a lot of folks come up to me and and say that they come from a finance or accounting background and it ends up not being as fulfilling as they would hope. And me sharing my thoughts on that has brought a lot of people to reach out to me and, and say that they don't they they feel the same way. And anytime I get a message like that, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so ready to go off. Like, let's talk about this because, because the disenchantment, the disillusionment that I felt um, towards the end of my two years within finance, I think is because a lot of schools, especially if you're in a business school, really push finance and accounting very hard. Um, They are very well-established 
career paths. And frankly, they they make the school and they make professionals within the industry a lot of money. Um, so I think there's a promise of glory and riches and titles when you enter the world of of finance or consulting because there's there are big companies and there's prestige and all these shiny things that a lot of students can get wrapped up in. And I was definitely one of those. But then once you're actually in the field, that might not be the case, at least not immediately, because, you know, being being super rich off of uh, a finance career happens when you're like a managing partner or, you know, like somewhere super high up there. And I think it, it was just the promise or, or the expectations that I had from school about what working in finance would be like, comparing that to the reality of it, that really made me um, disillusioned with it. So that, that wraps up phase one. Well, so, okay. So bef- before we move on from that topic, um, this is really timely of a conversation because I just had uh, a sales call with someone who um, graduated from one of the top 20 MBA programs for my, mm-hmm. uh, my business apprenticeship program. Yeah. And it was interesting having a conversation with him because he is, he is interviewing for jobs that are paying $200,000 a year. Yeah. Which is a little deceptive in that I wouldn't say that's the reality of the situation because they expect you to work, what, 60, 80 hour weeks. Yeah. So it's really like he's working $200,000 a year jobs. Yeah. And that is, and it's probably travel the 80% of the time. Yeah. So he's married and the work-life balance. It's Well, and this is, this is actually the exact conversation that me and Olivia had in class when we brought you up earlier this week of, is that a good viable plan? go work your tail off for a year or two, mm-hmm. get one of the big four consulting names on your resume. Yeah. Then it opens up a lot of options. I, I think that's the, that's the general theory with that, mm-hmm. which um, once we pull Olivia on the stream, we can kind of have a more nuanced conversation around that. But yeah, it, it was just interesting that, yeah, that is a ton of money. Although I guess yeah. it's also too, that's, that's not a ton of money for like New York or right. yeah. um, LA or um, Houston. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, there's, there's so many different factors that you got to dial into that to where you could get a remote job making 75,000 as an analyst yeah. and go live in Mexico, yeah. Palo Carmen, where it's like <laughs> your money goes three times as far because it's the just geo arbitrage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We can absolutely dive into that when Olivia comes on. I have a lot of thoughts on that as well, but Perfect. that is, that wraps up phase one. Phase two would be when I, or I guess the in-between stage between phase one and phase two was me starting to explore the data space. And that really was mid-2020 when I started listening to your podcast and started dabbling in, in the possibility of switching my careers into, um, into data. I had no real world experience with um, data analytics or data science at all, except for one Power BI project that I had done during my time at uh, the Big Four, and I that I, I didn't know anything about Power BI at the time, but it was very different from the Excel models that we were were building day in day out, just like crunching numbers in Excel. And I was like, oh, this is a, a new tool. And it really opened my eyes to the very 
efficient and advanced ways that people could work with numbers outside of Excel. And I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. But I, I was like, okay, like at the time that I was doing that project, didn't think much of it um, because I was like, okay, I, I have this job. Um, and then a couple months after that was when I started to get really burnt out. And I thought back to that project. And I also had taken like two or three analytics courses in college. Um, and again, at that time as a student, didn't think anything of that because I really thought I was uh, going to stay in finance forever. But you know, when, when you get really burnt out, um, you start to question everything and, and you start to reevaluate the, the path that you had set for yourself as a bright eyed, bushy tailed, fresh from college. Um, you had your quarter life crisis. Yes, it was absolutely a quarter yeah. life crisis. It happened when I was 25. So I was like, is this? Well, yeah, me too. I was, I was at 25 when, Mine was very different. I was selling 100% uh, commission insurance door to door. I was getting chased and cussed out by like angry customers sometimes. In some Fine. cases, it was. Uh, well, I think there's something value added to that of like having that existential crisis early on because oh, yeah. like you have you have all these scripts and all these narratives in your head about you know yeah that bright eyed bushy tail of like naivete and how that just having that destroyed and then building yourself back up. Yeah, um, I think is really really powerful. Yeah, I think 25 is a magical number because you are enough years into this adult world for you to realize that you are not this, the same person you were when you just graduated college. Um, but, you know, you're not too deep into, into your life post-college that you can't steer the ship another direction. So for mm. me, 25 was when I, I just started to reevaluate a lot of things and, um, that was that ushered me into phase two, which was full blown um, interviewing and upskilling and, and prepping for analytics interviews. And when I found your podcast, I was like, the title of this podcast is literally <laughs> what I need to do. Like, why would I not listen to this? And um, at the time, I, I didn't know that it had only been six months out because I feel like you had a lot of uh, episodes out by then okay so this is an interesting story and I, it's funny because i've been thinking about this this conversation for a few days now um instead of going and posting on linkedin like we're having our um career services and our well actually olivia we're when she's going to be in my capstone class next semester mm-hmm. i'm having them do um al bellamy's linkedin hard mode challenge which oh, is wow. a, a one a day Fun. post on linkedin yes, yeah. um so it's it's more condensed what I did in 2019 was I committed to making one YouTube video a week and okay. that's, and I built out my YouTube channel there. Mm. Then by the end of that year, I then had launched the podcast, but I think I had, I pulled quite a few episodes and I've, yeah, I've actually cycled through like two or three different co-hosts. Like the current iteration, yeah. I'm having one of my students actually like run the podcast now, which is, that's- he's actually running my consulting agency now too, which is. <laughs> oh my God, that's a lot of uh, responsibility for a student. Uh, well, he's, he stepped, he stepped up. I mean, we've, we've definitely had some like communication issues and rough patches. Cause I think going from being the student, essentially being the consumer of knowledge to the one who is organizing and then actually giving value is a huge yeah. shift. But I mean, he's oh, been yeah. a champ and has just made it through. Yeah. I, I remember when I was a student, I never took anything really seriously because I was never given any real responsibilities and that mentality followed me into my first couple years 
out of college where I was like, I'm, I'm bottom of the totem pole. Nothing that I do really has any consequence. So I never took anything seriously and couple that with, with a career that I wasn't passionate about. It was just a very like meh existence for Mm -hmm. my first two years where I, I really thought that nothing I did was important, but also I didn't care enough to, to have to do anything of importance. It was a vicious cycle. Um, but when I entered phase two was when I, I, again, reevaluated a lot of things. And, and one of them was reevaluating that mindset and finding a, a field or a career path that I really cared about really convinced me that I do want to take on responsibilities and, and have ownership over things and, and be known for something. So, so when I finally landed my, um, my first data role as an analytics consultant, um, that was after four months of, of interviewing. And I remember at that point I was like, I'm going to start uh, posting on LinkedIn because I no longer was trying to hide that I was looking for a job, which had prevented me from ever posting on LinkedIn or doing anything like not even liking any posts um, mm. when I was at my my first job. So when I started at as an analytics consultant, that was when I decided, okay, now I have nothing to hide. I'm going to turn over a new leaf in terms of my mentality, in terms of my habits, in terms of of how I view my future. And part of that view of my future was I'm going to hopefully set myself up for success by building this personal brand thing that people talk about. And I, I knew also that I didn't want to stay in that role for too, too long. And, but I did not want to go through another four month long job search process for whenever my next, uh, for whenever my next step would be. And as I was, as I was in that analytics role was when I really started to put in the work to build up my, my LinkedIn presence. I was only posting two times a week at most at the time, but that really built up the habit of being consistent on there. And consistency is the key. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, it's like, I, I remember I had one post that did decently well and that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to see how far I can get with this if I post more than one time a week and on a regular cadence and started picking up steam. So I was like, oh, this is kind of addicting. Like I, I'm a very avid consumer of, of social media. So I was like, once I started getting the dopamine hits of like, you know, that's when I was like, Ooh, this is kind of fun beyond just the professional benefits of it. I'm a little jealous of you because social media has always been a drag for me. I'm like, not, I'm like having to push through it. Um, But I think what we're doing. So with the, um, Greensboro College Apprenticeship, what we're doing now is um, I, I brought in Kadisha Bryan to be yeah, my I social saw, media manager. Yeah. And she is, now. yeah, she's facilitating the LinkedIn challenges. So she's That's like, awesome. she like uh, we just launched a new cohort um, earlier this week, actually. Yeah. And she had a whole, like, t- like she gave a whole talk about, here's how to think about it correctly. Here's an engagement type of post. Yeah. You know, here's like how you can, here's the right formatting. You know, you don't want it just one block of text. You know, it's like that, awesome. like that bro talk where it's like, you know, one or two sentence space, one or two sentence space, yeah. like for whatever reason, people consume that more. 
Um, They're so important. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think having a community around social media and like that, well, it's also like the, the accountant, the accountancy of it, of, Hey, I'm going to see you and I'm going to, I'm going to bust your chops if you aren't, aren't doing it. Yeah. Because I mean, we're, we're actually having a rec- recruiter start to reach out to our apprentices. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I don't know if you've, you've looked too much into SEO or search engine optimization, really. but it's wide open. Well, it's just mm-hmm. getting the right keywords on your, your LinkedIn. So you show course, up on search yeah. results. Yeah. Right. So, but, but it's kind of like a dual strategy of, well, there's, there's a whole pool of re- recruiters that are looking to hire in your area. Mm-hmm. If you can be at the top of that search result, then you're going to have opportunity to come your way. Yeah. And then the other way to do it is I'm just going to bark really loud and then people are going to see what I'm doing. True. Which is kind of your strategy. Yeah. Or, or not bark loud, but just bark <laughs> I bark often. Okay, yeah, maybe, maybe that's that's a good correction because some people like make controversial posts, and that yeah. that works. The, the saying uh, work. no, yeah, no, all pl- publicity is good publicity. But I don't know, maybe yeah. not in this case though, because it's like if this person's like a terrible person, I don't want to work with them. Right. Yeah. No, I think first of all, having Kadisha be there to teach students the the best way to create posts. That's way, way more than I think a typical college student ever gets in terms of education on how to create a personal brand. First of all, no student ever is taught the importance of LinkedIn. Like maybe they are taught, this is LinkedIn. Um, You use it to find jobs, just get 500 connections. And like students are expected to fill the gaps in between when they Mm -hmm. are thrust into the real world and they realize that that logging into their LinkedIn once every six months or a year only to like to stock on somebody or or to announce hey I got a promotion or hey I got a new job like that's not enough but nobody teaches people that um in in school and that I yeah yeah, I never was taught anything like that so I had to figure it out on my own but the fact that you have Kadisha to to show people not only how to use LinkedIn, but how to, but also the right way to create posts on LinkedIn, because there are wrong ways. There are absolutely wrong ways to create posts and to use LinkedIn in general. And right. it's awesome that you have somebody to, oh, to steer your students you. the right way. Well, I mean, let me ask you this, Megan. Has your mom ever asked you for help with her smartphone or anything like that or computer? Yeah. 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 We got a bunch of boomers teaching young people in yeah. a, an environment that they are, it's like space age technology for them. I'm serious. It's um, it's so true. Yeah. It's like, um, because, and it's funny because I'm 33 and I think I'm just now starting to like be disconnected from the youth a little bit. And that like TikTok that just way. exploded into the scene. Mm-hmm. And what's wild is I'm getting yeah. a lot of fans from TikTok and I'm not on there, but people are making content about my content on there. Oh, which interesting. Is weird. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I, it's almost like the Red Queen. It's like I'm running as fast as I can just to, just to keep up. Right. Yeah. It, so I, I think maybe the solution for me is just to hire young people so they there can just go. like bring me into the, the next uh, iteration of technology yeah. and environment. But yeah, it, it works completely different. And also you get all this boomer advice, um, like stay, be a company man, stay at the company for 30 years and they'll take care of you. Yeah. That, that no, that is antiquated. That no longer exists. Yeah. No, there are, I, I absolutely am at an age where I feel especially being so so active on LinkedIn where 
let's be real, most of the users are boomers. Um, and so I, I feel like I did well on, I've done well on LinkedIn because I'm an old soul, but also <laughs> I am, I, I was born 96 and 96 is like, 96 or 97 is the cutoff to Gen Z, right? But I don't, I yeah, like, you're still a baby. Somewhat identify with that generation, but not completely because I never understood TikTok. So it's like I, I feel that um, tension between the the generations, but I try to use that to my advantage. Like, and I, I think that's why I'm able to be able to use social media like easily. I don't find it to be a drag because like that's the the younger part of me. Like I I use social media all the time, and I know just what works on social media. Yeah. Well, you've also probably, you've got an analytical mind. You've probably A, B, split tested. I'm sorry, um, noticing some things. See, for my posts, I tend not to be that logical. Oh, interesting. Okay. Then I run the risk of overthinking it and caring way too much. Like sometimes you just gotta, gotta go with the flow. Like my post from two days ago was something that I just came up with on the spot. Like, but then other days I will I will have it methodically planned out. Um, but it, to, in order to A/B test it, I think I would I would need pretty um, I would I would need a I would need sets of posts that are similar. And I never like posting the same post, so it's like it's not that. Oh, gotcha. I, I never go that deep because I I can go crazy with it, and I don't want to go crazy with it. All right. So you mentioned something earlier in the episode that I wanted to bring, like re-bring up, and we'll talk about this this concept of leverage, and then we'll pull Olivia onto the chat so she can start asking you some questions. So what's interesting to me, and I just made this realization as you were talking about your time at the Big Four, um, you were the leverage there. They're using human capital capital to find insights with their clients. Mm -hmm. What you found with Power BI is that the tool is a leverage and you can build a yeah. system. Yeah. And I think that is huge because then you can build your own little fiefdom within your job yeah. that you manage. Because, I mean, I yeah. have one client, uh, they're, I think they've grown to like $350 million. It takes me two hours a month to just manage yeah. their, their entire in- infrastructure. Right. Like every once in a while it'll break and I'll have to get, and it's like painstaking to go through and figure out like what specifically happened. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because, yeah, you're you don't want to be kind of that like workhorse exactly i don't either i don't don't either that realization of of human me being the me and my efforts being the leverage versus contributing to a product that can be the the leverage point has been has guided my career path today because being a consultant at a big four and then also being an analytics consultant as a consultant, you are the asset and that is not very scalable. And so that's when I was like, I'm kind of tired of consulting. I'm tired of caring about billable hours and billable hours being the end all be all of how I get paid. And so that's when I started to explore um, products and, and working with working for a product and contributing to a product. And that's how I found my way to narrator. Narrator is a product. And right. you know, sometimes I do work with um, customers and that part of my job is very similar to my consulting days. But at the end of the day, 
I'm contributing to a product that people can use to create analyses a lot faster. And I'm like, okay, now I know at least my efforts here are scalable as opposed to having to count nickels and dimes over how much time I charge to a client um, being the way that I get compensated. Well, I'm laughing because that's literally what I did this year. So the, the I, I spun up a, an apprenticeship program, which is, mm-hmm. I, I've not really heard of a business apprenticeship program before, but it's yeah. the first, it's the first time I started productizing like my educational stuff. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, like the LinkedIn stuff is nice and it gets like, I think I'm, I've, I've hit almost well, well over a million views across my LinkedIn courses at this point, yeah. but it's like, um, I don't like playing that game because I, I almost feel like a little ethically gray about it, but I think most people are wasting their time on LinkedIn learning. <laughs> I'm serious. Like they're just like it's like they're they're not really engaging, but they feel like they're learning, but they're not. And then LinkedIn is just like milking money out of them on that subscription, and they're doing that at scale. Um, to where the apprenticeship program, I'm it's I built my own learning platform, so I would say probably eighty to ninety percent of the touch point with the client, mm-hmm. my students, is through that. But then we have mm-hmm. a group call, and then I'm open to one-on-one coaching. So it's kind of like yeah. a hybrid approach, but also too what you're doing is you are defining like what problem you're solving, which I think is hugely empowerful or empowering. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you, you get to set the terms to where when I was consulting in my agency, I was chasing whatever the client needed. Yeah. And that was stressful because I, I mean, I don't know. There's probably like 15, 20 deals I closed that I knew about 80% of. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have to figure this out or I don't get paid this month, <laughs> which, right. which would put, it put my learning on like hyperspeed. Um, but I mean, the cost of that in terms of like sleepless nights, um, like not having as much time to socialize, like just being preoccupied, uh, there was a cost to that. Right. But yeah, but now I'm, I'm starting to kind of have, we're having some, some kind of parallel thinking there of, I want to define my sandbox and play in it and then optimize within that as opposed to like going out and every time that you have a new engagement, it's a brand new game. There's also mm-hmm. politics with the client, like, you yeah. know, so-and-so is kind of hard to deal with. They don't like so-and-so. Yeah. You don't know what, what's wrong with the data. Like, it's, there's so many unknown unknowns. Yeah, I consulting. was just tired of being at the beck and call of, of the client. And the client is king mentality and having to bend over backwards to make the client happy. Um, yeah, I'll say right. that much. Very cool. All right, so... I'm going to pull Olivia on. Perfect. Because I know she's got some questions. So let me uh, rearrange this here. All right, Olivia. Hi, Olivia. So, okay, let me, I guess let me give context. So Megan, Olivia is in my, um, she's getting a minor in analytics at Greensboro College. And she's currently in my case studies business analytics class. Awesome. So your major is accounting, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's funny because um, the company that you work for, was potentially on her hit list as far as like dream jobs that she might want to have coming out. (laughs) So this, I think this is a magical experience of like, you get to talk to someone who's very recently gotten that job and you can hear the pros and the cons. Yeah, that's definitely, well, even like when you were talking about the client, I did an internship and that was even like similar, like anything that you do anything and everything like for the client. Yeah. But my first question was just like, how did you get your foot in the door there? We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. 
Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. I got an internship there first. Um, It was the summer of my junior year, I believe. And at the University of Virginia, all all of the big four come to recruit at, at UVA. And so it was just, um, it was one of those companies where I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give this a try. Like I've heard that a lot of other students in this program have worked for, um, oh, I'm sorry. that is so cute. He's welcome here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I got an internship there and a lot of my other classmates also joined me in that internship and it was a really fun summer, not going to lie. They sent us to Disney World, um, all-expense-paid trip, and got so much free swag uh, and barely did any work that summer. So I was like, man, this is the life. Like, I cannot – and that contributed to me thinking that I was going to spend the rest of my life there. Mm-hmm. I So I accepted the, the return offer, and the return offer honestly was a given – um and like Wait, can, I, can i pause you yeah go for it so the internship was like honeymoon phase and yeah. then they pulled a bait and switch on you and we're like oh no no disneyland is over oh yeah no it was like <laughs> that, that is like something out of a, a sitcom that is hilarious and you're like <laughs> no. i love this no, Disney I mean, World. <laughs> that's how they that's how they got you it's like you know you actually it was if you get a return off if you've gotten a return offer then you are given the trip to Disney world. And so that's how they make all your, in, all wow. the interns feel like, Oh, this company is Don't so they care great. about me. Like, yeah. I mean, not that it's, it's not a bad company at all. Um, I, I'm like I said in our private chat, I'm super thankful for that opportunity because it absolutely opened a lot of doors. I will say, you know, so maybe sell your soul to a big company it could be worth it. Um, sorry, I don't mean to say it like that. Not sell your soul. Like for some people, it is a really great experience. And for some people, it absolutely is their cup of tea. For me, it just wasn't because I found myself um, interested in, in something else. And to be fair, there I, I could have taken an analytics role within um, that big four company, but I just chose to look elsewhere. And I realized that starting at a, a big company is really great for your resume and being recognized for your roles afterward when when you want to find your second job. But when I left a big com- the big company and my second role as an analytics consultant, I was at a smaller firm. And then now at my third company, I'm at an even smaller firm. And I never thought that I would go this direction because I always thought, 
you know, having started in the big four and I was like, oh, I was so well taken care of so many perks. Like I love working at a big company and having such a recognizable name on my resume. And those have gotten me far. But now that I've gone to a smaller company and then an even smaller company after that, I realized that there are a lot of benefits to working in a small company that you don't get at a big company, like having your voice heard, um, being more than just a cog in the machine and and feeling part of something and, and feel enjoying the feeling of like you're contributing to something and what you do matters. So, so you're more, imp- you're more impact driven than like monetarily driven. Um, oh. I would say I'm equally driven. I'm equally driven. Okay. So that, that is a common misconception that I've heard over and over again in the sales calls I've had for the apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Uh, people assume that you're going to get paid way less for a smaller company. Mm. And I don't think that's necessarily true. So when you work for a big company, you're very siloed. So you do one specific role and you're just one cog to where you, if you're working for a startup, you probably wear multiple hats. So you're functionally speaking, take on three or potentially three or four roles. Yeah. And if you do a good job at all of those, they will reward you. Well, maybe not as well as the bigger company, but potentially you can position yourself as like the, if it's a tiny company, you can yeah. position yourself as a chief information officer. Yeah. Start building out the entire infrastructure. Then you've got your hands on the data. You can quantify the impact of the work you've done and then start aggressively using that to negotiate. Right. Up. Yeah. I, with each job search, um, with each new job, I've gotten at least 20% raise in my, in my salary. So it's not like I, I settled for anything less at this startup, but I think if I were working at a a big tech company um, doing my role now, I probably would be paid more than I am now. But these but days, it's, it's, it's near, it's close though. That's interesting. Yeah, these days I, you know, early in my career, I absolutely was revenue driven, um, monetary. Like I cared a lot about how much I was paid because fresh out of college, you're like, wow, I I'm I love the titles and and the salary. And it's really easy to have that as your, your guiding light. But now I'm now at my current company, I'm like, okay, I'm not paid as much as some of my other friends who are um, in the same who have the same title, but I genuinely love the impact that I have here at this company and what I do. And so I, I don't think that I would be leaving here anytime soon. Um, and so that my priorities have shifted and that quarter life crisis really um, did that for me. Well, Megan, you're also starting to productize yourself too. It via like, um, you just got published on LinkedIn learning. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I can't name the company, but I just referred you uh, potentially a, a lead on some yeah. content creation for a big five tech company. Yeah. So who knows where that might go? I know. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, now the gears are starting to to spin and I'm realizing that I do want to try to monetize at least whatever it is I'm building. I don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe YouTube, maybe maybe some other platform. Um, you heard it here first. I have not told <laughs> anybody that, but like, yeah, I do want to find a way to, to like le- find, find a way to like make myself a leverage again, but in a sustainable way, because LinkedIn does take a lot of time. And Wait, um, really, 
Interesting. So I went through a, a startup company that creates content for LinkedIn. So I wasn't in their studio, but it, it I, I was on site in Santa Barbara with them for like a week. Oh, um, wow. And then, LinkedIn, you mean? Um, so their, their business model, their pitch is like where the IKEA of content creation. So they oh. create the content and then, well, I, get, I should say they've actually expanded because now they're, they're, um, they're getting distribution on LinkedIn, but they're also getting distribution on like companies, um, like um, their learning platforms that they, they yeah. buy into for continuing education. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I get some questions, but not really that many. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's the way it was, the course was. Are you talking about you're, you're taking a lot of time oh, answering um, questions? Like, no, 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 not even LinkedIn learning, just LinkedIn. Oh, right. Um, See, that, that's where I'm at. That's where it's like now yeah. I'm starting to just buy influence. Right. You know, like, like Ian, shout out to anybody who's a fan of Ian. Yeah. I don't know how to say his last name. I, um, Ian K. Ian K. I, um, I did a paid sponsorship. And then I got like, I don't know, 36 new connections. And then I think 50 people signed up for this. Oh, wow. And, Dude, yeah. No, Ian. Now, Ian has been killing it. Um, yeah. he, he is somebody who really knows what works on, on LinkedIn. And I, I applaud him because he's seen very fast growth. So he so lives, like 20, he lives 20 minutes away from me. Oh, yeah. He was like, when I asked him, he was like, oh, yeah, just for somebody local. And I was like, oh, but then I, I like, I was like, wait, you're in Greensboro. And I know he's somewhere in North Carolina. Pleasant Garden, which is like in between Greensboro and Durham, I, I believe. It. So, yeah, it's like, I, I think we may, I'm trying to get him to come on and do some like, like I've hired a producer and I would like to do some like high quality, like podcast content Ooh. and maybe have him come on. But he said he's a little camera shy. Oh. Ian, sorry if you're listening. I'm sorry. No, I don't mean to like no, Ian, <laughs> spill the beans. Come on, party. <laughs> yeah, but no, it, it is interesting that um, you can build like basically where you're at. Like you can start to um, you ha have deals flow through you. Like that contract that I had that that came to me. Yeah. Um, I, literally, you saw the email. They were like, "We know that you've got one of the most um, robust yeah. networks in it goes all of the far, Yeah. So they're like, who, who do you know? Right. And then, yeah. And then it's, it's interesting, like kind of getting established like that. Cause then it, opportunities, um, you just hit a critical mass where, yeah. cause now, now I have people coming to me for the podcast and then I don't even do the podcast. I just have my, I'm like, Oh, cool. We'll have you on. Hey Hunter, go find a student and then go do, deal with it. Like Olivia, yeah. you were, you were just on with Hunter yeah, and uh, Sanjita, yeah. which we haven't, we haven't released the episode. Mm -hmm. um, sorry. We are totally Olivia, I've just hijacked your conversation. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry, this is the first time I've gotten to talk with Megan, and I find her very fascinating. No, she I will is. shut up now. Yeah. Olivia, you No, have yes, your Olivia, questions. it's all you. <laughs> I only have a couple more questions. Yes. Um, I was just like, what was it like when you were working there? Like, how many hours a week did you have to work? Did you travel? Were you still working on the weekend? I, so I was not... I was lucky in that I was not um, in their most um, like breadwinning um, teams, and that would be accounting and their their like management consultants. Um, so those guys were probably the most overworked, especially during tax season. And um, and for us, year end was really our like 
those were the days that we really put in the work because we had to uh, report our numbers for companies like 10K filings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So towards year end was when things were just bonkers. It was probably like 60, 60 hours doesn't sound that bad, but like Mm -hmm. you don't like the job it's bad um so you know we I think with that job there was that expectation of having a busy season that was a lot rougher than regular season was just it was just a given um you did not have a choice so it was like oh you signed up for this and I'm like okay and you're like my the first year I was like okay like we're gonna get through this and then the second year you just kind of get um, jaded because you're like, oh, this is part of the job. Like, this is what I have to do. But towards the end of my second busy season was when I realized, but why, you know, I was started to ask, why is this part of the job? Like, why, first of all, why did I even choose a job that is so dependent on customers filing dates? And so it, it just, busy season versus non-busy season was just, night and day mm-hmm. and I was like why can't I just find a job that at least has that balance and so you know non-busy season days they were great um you know did a lot of learning bonded with my team and you know I, I don't have anything bad to say about my team uh they were great people and they taught me a lot but then busy season was when you saw ugly ugly forms of of uh, your coworkers because it was just like, don't talk to me. Like it's busy season. Like it was just such a ingrained part of our culture. And I started to wonder, you know, what would it be like to have a, a, a job that's not so temperamental? Yeah. And I know you said like it opened up a lot of like things career wise for you. And like, I feel like that's why I would want to work for one of them because I am young and I have the time to do that right now. Yeah. Like, I agree. I agree. Um, If because you have an accounting uh, major, this is absolutely the best opportunity for you to, to land in a big four. Not going to lie because um, it is big four accounting and, a lot of it's an unsaid thing that when you come out of uh, a big four accounting firm, uh, you will get a great job lined up for you afterward because you have the renown of of the name. And for me, even though I didn't stick within finance accounting, it's still open doors for me because I my second job as an analytics consultant, I was at another consulting firm and they very much recognized the name of my previous employer. And that was such a an advantage for me because they knew that I could do the job as a consultant. So they were like, okay, we are looking for a somebody who is a consultant at the end of the day who also has analytic skills. And because I came from um, a company that, a big four company that is known to like make workhorses out of people, they're like, okay, she can do the job. So yeah. it absolutely, I think was, I mean, it was worth it. You know, I, as much as I didn't enjoy it towards the end of my time there, I wouldn't have traded it for for anything else because I probably wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't put in the work in my first two years um, at the big four. Mm-hmm. Well, I 
I did not get an internship with them. So would you have okay. any advice as to how like I could get my foot in the door? Cause I mean, yeah. I graduate and then, yeah, I did do an internship for two summers at a smaller accounting firm, just like keeping yeah. stuff, but yeah. Um, I, this goes into the topics of building personal brand and just how to get a job in general, which building a personal brand and and networking and talking to people who are who already have the position that you want, it can go such a long way. This is a very, very like I could go on a really long tangent on this, but I would say, you know, putting yourself out there and and talking to people who um, who can give you a glimpse into a day in the life and then potentially make a referral for you will get you a long way. And also I do know that big four, they are always hiring. They're really big companies. And to be honest, I don't think it's like super hard to get into. I've interviewed with two of the big four and I've gotten offers from two of them. And I like was a (laughs) candidate. So like they're ginormous firms and they're Mm -hmm. not, super exclusive. So, yeah. So Megan, I've got a question. Mm-hmm. You went to UVA for undergrad, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's like in net, like they have a pipeline established with yeah. that company. See, that's what I think. And see, it's, it's almost like I, what I've done over the past year is just studied the overall educational landscape. Yeah. And it seems like the, it's like some Pareto distribution going on. The top 20% of schools um, are providing almost all of the good jobs. That being said, you pay six figures for that degree. So it's yeah. like you better it's I, I think the worst case scenario is to go get into a like a name brand school, pay, get hundred thousand dollars in debt, but don't finish because you realize that you want like a different thing um, to where uh, I think the middle and the lower of the pack in terms of like rankings go mm. um, like we don't we just don't have that pipeline established. Yeah. Uh, it's something that I'm doing now. It's what's wild is that like uh, my students are starting to get my other students jobs. That's awesome. Because well, because I don't think that they're. I think the the big name schools have like a pipeline to like Wall Street or finance. I don't think there's really like a pipeline directly to the analytics space. It still feels very much like the Wild West, which is that's 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 what I'm trying to do. I don't think any undergrad program really has an established pipeline for analytics jobs for finance and accounting and consulting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because I went to a business school and um, it's a well, pretty well known business school. So they we did have those pipelines into especially the big four um, accounting firms. And a lot of other people went to into like big three consulting. Um, so, yeah, maybe I do take that that pipeline for granted because of the school that I came from. Um, yeah. Right. You're in the club, so to speak. Because you, you because you you've got that alumni network and you were yeah. probably on campus with people who in your cohort um, I guess you don't call it yeah. I call I call it cohort like like I have two students in my analytics classes right now so yeah. I call them cohorts which I guess that's more like an MBA thing um, but like the people in your graduating class that you knew probably got those jobs so you can get a referral from them so I think it's a little bit easier um, to where like I guess to get a more more nuanced on um, Olivia's question is like do you have any advice on how to break into those bubbles. Yeah. I mean, it's not just, you you shouldn't just rely on school being the common factor that connects you. I have made connections out of people because they're from the same 
um, area that I live in, or they have like the same interests, or they are following the same like uh, page podcasts. on on LinkedIn, yeah, or podcasts. Like you, Me. I like <laughs> there are a lot of ways to create connections and and establish those relationships beyond just your school. Um, and you just kind of have to get creative with with how you get that in with somebody. But also we were talking about leverage and, you know, creating LinkedIn posts and, and putting yourself out there, that can totally be your leverage because if somebody sees your sees your name come up on their feed, then that's already like an in because they've seen your name before. So you're not compl- a completely cold contact. And that can act in the place of being like, hey, I went to the same school as you or I worked in the same company as you or I... Um, and from the same uh, geographic location as you, right? So it's all about just finding a way, a creative way to get your foot in the door with someone who can eventually be your foot in the door to a company. So Megan, my thought is very close to that with a slight, a slight variant okay. variation. Olivia, you know what I think you should do? Go find people that you want to like, Find people that you would admire career-wise or, or potentially want to follow in that path. Mm-hmm. Connect with them, follow with them, engage with their content on a regular yeah. basis. Boost okay. their signal because they're trying to get – they're trying to put out a signal into the world. If you can boost it and actually comment with questions and have a conversation with them, you can start having uh, – I mean, that's literally like the new strategy for, for me and like my kind of little um, ecosystem is that I'm no longer posting on LinkedIn. I'm having my students – post for me and then tag me in it, which I think in terms of like status, that's so much higher status than um, I'm, I've got a catchy title. Look at me, 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 me versus, Oh, this, I've done this work. I've had this impact on someone's life and they're saying it. And so if you can start saying, wow, X, Y, Z person, that was a really good post. I took a lot out of it. um, But I had this thought question and then get them to talk to you. And then, the more kind of comments that stack up on that whatever piece of social media content, that's going to boost their signal signal. And they're going to be grateful for that. And if you can kind of be consistent with that, that's, that's my, my take on it. Cause and the perspective in which I'm bringing to this is that I have people asking me for help every single day on LinkedIn. I'm just flooded with messages. Many of them I've never even had any engagement with and I just don't even open their message. I don't either. I'm seeing, yeah, it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's rude. It is rude. They they want free consulting. And I think what I'm going to start doing is just. Entitlement. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that it's just. Um, they're, they're not taking on their perspective. Like the, it's, yeah. I think it's hard for people who are not busy to understand what it's like in the world of someone who is very busy and has like I, I'm, I'm managing like multiple things in tandem. And it's, it's just a lot yeah. on yeah. my plate. Um, so yeah, so for me to stop so, so, to, and give like really thought out advice and type that out, that's, that's a lot. Cause I get like, I don't know, 10 messages like that a day or something like that. I'm sure you get more cause you got even bigger following than me. I, I get a lot and I feel like my ADD these days at not diagnosed or anything, but I feel like I'm so ADD like, because I get so many messages and, and notifications and I'm like, Oh, I have to answer this. No, I have to answer this. And then this new one comes in and then like I get distracted and I forget to respond to something. And so I was just thinking today, 
about how bad I am at responding to messages, but it's not really because I, it's not because I don't want to, but it's just like, it takes so much out of me to type out guidance to somebody who's just like, Hey, I want to break into data science. Can you guide me? Like, where do I go? With yeah. That? If only there were like a podcast or something like exactly. the, in that, that area. Yeah. Like- <laughs> People don't like to do their research. Um, so well, I'll, I'll literally I, will be like, Hey, go check out the podcast. Like yeah. I've, I've talked about this for 175 hours. That's true. Yeah. You just go, go, go have at it. Like I'm, I'm not going to spoon feed this for you. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't want to come off as like jaded. I appreciate the people who are following me and engaging with me. Yeah. But yeah, but there's, there's a big ask, especially at scale. It is. Olivia, have we, have we tackled all of your questions so far? Yes. Thank you. And Megan, we're actually from the same area too. Wait, you're from Virginia? Northern I'm Virginia? from Maryland. <gasps> yeah. There's so many people in this area. Like use it. Use the, the DMV as a way to to be your connection to people and be shameless about it. Like okay. if there's any common thread between you and somebody that you want to engage with or have a coffee chat with, use it. Okay. And it's much, you get a much better response rate if you lean on that connection, however loose it may be, than if you were just to be some random person I've never talked to or have no connections with, you know? Right. So like lean on it. Okay. Thank you so much for answering my questions. And they were really good responses. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for asking the questions that needed to be asked. I think a lot of the times the questions I receive are, you know, data related, but um, there are, I still do have a lot of thoughts about my my previous career and, and how I started. And I wouldn't like, I absolutely credit where I am today to like how I to those, those beginning days. And so I'm glad you asked those questions. Okay. Thank you. Well, mate, I'd love to have you back on because, because for those of you who are listening, we've, we've got a very tight hour. Like both of you, both of you gals have to jump off by 1 PM and it's 1255 right now. So we've only got like five minutes left. I feel bad. I, I see that we've got quite a, quite a few people in the chat log and we just did not get to that. I know. Um, well, okay. Let's maybe there was like one that I think would be, where is it? So Diego asked, tell us how to make a better targeting LinkedIn post. Is that, do you do, okay, actually, bef- before we even get to that question, let's talk, let's uncover and unpack the subtext of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you even do targeted posts? Do you keep yes. it broad? Or no, do I don't do target? No. Okay. I, um, tell me about that. Yeah, I probably have like three or four pillars that I stick to. Um, first is, technical data related stuff second is um career switching third is general work culture um so yeah those are like the three and i i try to hit each of those pretty evenly so it works out to be like so i I post four times a week and i will dedicate one post per week to to those um topics and then maybe an extra, my fourth post will be something like random. Um, and so those are the, the four pillars that have worked for me. And I am of the belief that if you stray too far from those, you tend not to get as much engagement. Um, so, you know, really try to figure out 
what it is that you enjoy talking about because when you are passionate about something, it's just so much, it just comes across so much better in your posts and people can tell that you're genuine about it. Whereas if you have to, if you're posting for something that um, you don't, that you don't care about or like, you know, that's why I, I don't, I tend to not really do shout outs for, for things or other companies or, you know, um, other people, because I'm, I don't know, I can't be genuine um, pushing things that I don't uh, subscribe to. And so, yeah, a lot of my posts are just me coming up with, with experience, like talking about experiences that I think other people can relate to. And um, so that, that informs the tone of all of my posts. I never try to be, you know, preachy or super professional or sound like I'm more knowledgeable than you because I probably am not. Um, so I just, I try to talk to you like I'm your buddy. And um, so that's the tone. But then in terms of, yeah, like the topics, you want to identify just a handful of things that you know you can talk a lot about and that you know you can talk passionately about them and just stick to them. And then also like another factor is looking at just going through LinkedIn and seeing what other people are talking about as well to inform those, how you choose your three pillars, because you don't want to talk about something that nobody cares about. So like once you find your community of people who care about the same things that you do, for me, it was the data community. um, You can see what people tend to talk about within those circles. Like they talk about SQL a lot. And so I post out a lot. I, I post a lot of SQL content and my SQL posts are my number one um, follow follower gainer um, or like reaction getter. And then, but like, if I want to post about Excel or R, nobody posts about that stuff. So like, I'm not going to post about that stuff, you know? So it's a balance. You have to know what you can talk about easily and well, but also you have to put your ear to the ground and know, get a sense of what actually works um, out there. So yeah, I hope that answers the question. Gotcha. All right, we got it's we got one minute before you got to be on the next call. Megan, this was fantastic. Olivia, thank you so much for coming in. Thank I, you, Olivia. I, I love that you can come in, and I'm getting further and further removed from like the people getting into the space. I'm seven years in at this point, so I appreciate you so much for your time. Well, actually, both of you guys, this has been fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, thank you both. Thanks for um, being on too. <laughs> yeah, and um, would love to catch up again if if you ever want to have me or if we have too many questions that we never got to. So um, yeah, this was really fun. Yeah. We didn't go as deep. Like I was, I, I felt bad. I was like, ah, this is good, but I got to cut it because like we, we've, we've, we've got a tight hour, but yeah, I would love to have you back on and we can go down these people, the pot, the podcast listeners loved us just going down these like rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, Cause we, we were like tunneling. Yeah. And, and honestly, we just flow well conversationally. Megan, it's been a pleasure. I, thank you, thanks everybody in the live chat for uh, tuning in. Next time, I promise we will get to your chats. See yes. you guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.